Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, Caleb, thank you so much for joining me on the Preacher Boys podcast. Now, I know I gave a little bit of context about who you are in the introduction of the episode, but can you just introduce yourself personally to our listeners and let them know how you got introduced to the world of the IFB? Yep. Uh, Caleb, so like I was, like I was actually my born to the IFB. Uh, my father and mother uh, were both raised in IFB kind of churches. My uh, father, uh, he attended my Bible college at Ruckman School, um, uh, PBI. After he got done there, he was the associate, the associate of my pastor at a church in North Carolina, and then he felt the need to to move up to Pennsylvania and start a church of his own. He's about um, 22 at that point when he decided that you know he's ready to be a pastor and start his own church. But my earliest memories, obviously, of being in the church is it was kind of like like an all-consuming thing in our life. You know, we'd go to church, you know, uh, three times on Sunday, once on Wednesday, you know, a soul winning on Thursday street preaching on Saturday. So it was just kind of like always a part of my life from right. like from early memory. Yeah. I mean, obviously again, like I've had people on who've been, you know, have come into the movement in their later teens, but like to kind of start in that world, it changes your perspective because that's all, you know, early on. So did you have fond memories early on? Was it, was it in like right off the bat, like, you know, I've talked to people where the initial memories of it are, are negative or was it something you just slowly started realizing like, oh, this is like, maybe we're kind of in a weird environment that, you know, maybe this is how most people operate. So I remember when I was a younger, you know, like under the age of like a 10 or 11, that I do have a fond memories. Uh, like my dad is a pastor, you know, we would go to uh, conferences, uh, camp meetings, um, you know, just having like a busy schedule of going to all these uh, churches, you know, and hearing people preach. It was always a fun experience because I would get to, you know, hang out with other kids at that point, you know, maybe like uh, do activities. It was exciting. It was uh, something, you know, like, like always something different I got to do. I kind of started noticing, like, it's weird when you're in that world because you're like in a bubble and you don't realize how weird it is, like when you're there. 
And so I just kind of thought everyone else, you know, like uh, the secular world, everyone out there, like they must just be having like a terrible life, you know, stumbling from sin to sin or whatever, you know, we're just happy here, you know, like in the uh, church it was probably about the, was probably about 12 or 13 when things really started to kind of like, like unravel for me, you know, and I started to like start questioning things. Oh, I lost audio. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Um, so what was one of the first things that you noticed that was, you know, where it stood out to you as being like, oh, that, that doesn't seem quite right? Probably the first thing that initially like, like it caught me was, you know, as with a lot of IFB like churches, I'm a public school like was not even an option. So my parents, you know, wanted to homeschool us. However, like my mom like homeschooled us for like the first when I was like probably first or second grade and then really fell off. She really didn't do like we weren't homeschooled really. Like we just my parents would some years have the money to buy books, some years not. It was just kind of like a and the state of Pennsylvania is very lax with the requirements. So you basically had to just turn in a portfolio at the end of the year saying you did school. And that was the only, like, like only a check and balance, really. Okay. Uh, so it was, you know, we pretty much just like didn't do school, but I like to read. So I was huge into reading history and uh, try to get into reading a lot of uh, science, like astronomy and stuff like that, about that age. And, you know, I'm looking at all, reading his books, reading evidence of like, you know, the earth is, you know, like billions of years old. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, you know, everyone at church says it's like a 6,000 years old. And they like, like believe it, but there's all this evidence. So that was a big thing. And uh, then just realizing like, like the hypocrisy of like, you know, and let me clarify, there's a difference between like being a Christian and having opinions about things and then failing to live up to them. You know, that's right. okay. Everyone's human. But to like say, you know, the God is all about love, you know, like, and then get, you know, like the crap smacked out of you for every little thing at home. I'm like, that doesn't really like, right. it was just like so much stuff. It started, got me thinking where I was like, you know, it was probably 12 or 13 when I just, in my own mind was, I was like, this is all a lie and I am over this and I don't want any part of this. But based upon, you know, just the level of like how, how my parents responded to like everything, I was like, I can't say a word of this or like, I'm going to get right. sent off to a, something like clammed up, you know, I was like, like when I turn 18, I'll, we will find a way out of here because I cannot deal with this. That's a crazy situation to be in when you're, when you're that young. And, you know, I, when I came to a breaking point with, you know, the IFB, I was 17, you know, right, almost 18. And so I had about a year of that, but I felt I was close enough where I was more vocal, but to be 13 and, you know, to be trying to wrestle that stuff and knowing that you can't even ask the question, you know, that's a difficult position to be in. But it also, ironically, it also just helps confirm that you're probably right. <laughs> if you're not allowed to, bro you know, kind of broach the question with someone, it, you know, it kind of confirms like, oh, why are they not wanting me to ask questions about what we believe? So, did you ever, like, were you completely quiet about it throughout or was there ever a point in which you just tried to like maybe subtly ask a question or, or, you know, try to press a little bit and see if you could get an answer? No, I kept quiet. Like, like my dad, uh, you know, like in all these, all these churches, there was a lot of pressure, like as a preacher's kid, like, oh, hey, you know, what Bible college are you going to go off to and you're going to be a preacher or a missionary, you know? And right. I was always just like, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know, right. you know? my dad kind of caught on to that and he would try to like, you know, like a drill into me and be like, Hey man, like, like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. And I remember there was a few times where he tried to like 
get it out of me, I guess, if you will. But, you know, mm. I remember he was like, you know, you're reading all these books and I kind of worry that you're going to be, you know, that you're going to start believing in evolution. And I was like, oh, no, you know, that's not going to happen, Dad. Like, there's no way, right. you know, no. like I ignore those portions. Um, but yeah. I just like, I didn't say a word. I just like, kept my head down until, you know, I was able to get out of there. Right. You mentioned before we started talking that you grew up in a very, like you grew up in a very, very, very small church. What was the, you know, did you have friends within it? Did you, were you one of the only kids in that world? Was it primarily adults in the church? Like what was kind of the breakdown? Did you have anybody that you talked to about this stuff at all outside of your parents? No, there would be, I'm trying to think now, you know, every once, I think for maybe a year or two, we had a family that had some kids in there. There'd probably be like one or two other kids my age would be about right. And then there was periods of years where there was no kids my age. Cause hmm. I might, you know, uh, the church would go from being like 20 to 30 folks at the high end, maybe like a hundred, but it would fluctuate between there. And it was usually more towards the 20, 30 mark. So, and you know, like we didn't, we weren't allowed to have like friends outside of the church, you know? So pretty much I felt pretty alone and was just like, in my own little world, you know, and I didn't right. dare this to anyone. Yeah, no, definitely. What was the reason for kind of the high, I guess, turn, turnover rate? I don't know what you'd, what you'd yeah. call it, but but why did it fluctuate so much? This is a realization I, I've come to only like in the last few weeks, just uh, talking with my uh, siblings and stuff. Um, and I really think that my dad was, a, you know, even though it was, it was like a classic IFB church where the pastor was, a, you know, a king and all that with no sort of accountability he wasn't a very, I don't think he's, he was a very strong personality as a pastor and people would come in that would influence him into taking a particular stand, you know, like all of a sudden, you know, now we're not going to celebrate uh, Christmas because it's a pagan holiday or, you know, now this is bad. And those people would influence him that way. And then obviously other people would be like, well, that's not really my cup of tea. So I'm out. So let's see, I think he started the church in 91 and by, I mean, there was nobody who was from the original church you know, by the early 2000s, like they just all cycled through. Right. Do you have siblings? No? Yeah. Okay. I have a brother and sister. So I know you mentioned a little bit like the, you know, the home life wasn't great. What was the home situation? Like was, did you feel like the, it was a different life than the church life? Do you feel like it was just a more ramped up strict version? Like what was the contrast between like the church ministry side and like the actual home life once doors are closed? Yeah. So for me, it was just a lot of like, just fake, you know, like, because we, you know, I hear my dad preach one thing, like at a church, and then we come home and like, just my, you know, put this, um, you know, one, like the homeschooling thing where like, you can preach about like, these are the 10 commandments, or, you know, we shouldn't lie or cheat or whatever. And then my parents would just turn in complete falsehoods every year, saying that like, we did school samples of it. And I'm like, I'm going to have to go live in the world and I don't have an education. And like, what, what am I going to do? And you feel right. comfortable lying. And so that was, I, I, I couldn't understand that. And then just obviously seeing like a psychologist or any sort of mental health is like uh, not allowed in that kind of environment. And, you know, I think there's some, my mom has like some sort of issue because like she was just like incredibly violent and would like flip at about anything, uh, you know, yeah. any fraction just resulted in, you know, like a spanking or getting shoved around or, you know, grabbed up and screamed in the face. And I was, it was just, you know, especially before I kind of had that moment at like 12 or 13, like I just felt like so alone and depressed to the point that I even at times like considered like a suicide just to like end it all. 
thankfully I never did. It was just like, you know, at home was just a miserable experience where yeah. like every, you just want to like a tiptoe around and like not do something to upset, you know, the parents and in particular mom. That's interesting that it was more on the mom side because that's typically you expect it to be from maybe the right. the dad side. But did you feel like the, and I don't know if you'd know this, but like thinking back on it, do you feel like the theology, like obviously we've talked about Ruckman, like mm-hmm. I, as the time we're recording this, like I have an episode game ready to go out. And like the question to me is always like, you know, Ruckman's theology was very intense, very abusive at its core. But, you know, I always wonder, like, is the theology the root of the abuse or does do abusive, like, did it, does it make good people abusive or do abusive people flock to this type of theology and these types of churches? And did you feel like it was something that was kind of revved up by the teaching at the church or do you feel like it just, they kind of existed the same, like it was, yeah. they had these tendencies they, the church also happened to be this way. You know, I think for my mom, she never really had a good grasp of the theology. She was just kind of along for the ride, her personality and how she is. You know, for my dad, I do think he would, he could, you know, be just as abusive as my mom. But for him, it was always like, this is the right thing. You know, right. I remember, uh, and my wife hates this uh, story, but I think it's like indicative of like the problem of theology is, you know, when I was like, just started walking, I was the oldest kid. My dad used to like tell a story as an illustration of how you should like, like discipline your kids of, I just started walking and I did something that was bad, whatever, like a nine month old, you know, like I knew it's bad. He spanked me. So I went over to my mom crying and said, like a dad spanked me and at her spanked me. And then I went back and forth, you know, like a dozen times or so. And they kept spanking me until I just sat down and, you know, stopped and cried. And, you know, me as a father now, you know, I'm like, that's, how could you possibly do that? Like to a baby, but right. for my, hey, that's the right thing to do. Like you got to like, like break their will, you know, and have them submit and learn. So for him, I do think that theology just, you know, amped up. I don't know that he would have done that without having like the opinion of like the man's the head of the house, you know, kids need to submit, right. kids need to be well, like well-behaved. Your parents' relationship, did you feel like your dad, you know, because a lot of Ruckman stuff was heavy on like the man being the head of the home. Did you feel like your mom was kind of like, did you feel like it was a chain of like abuse, like dad to mom, mom to you guys? Or did you feel like it was just kind of, they coexisted in the same spot kind of thing? My dad was in name the head of the house, but my mom definitely was, was the head. Actually. Right. Got it. So you're 13, 14, you're reading, you're, you're kind of coming to these conclusions very early, which is rare for someone to, you know, question especially at that age so that's 13 so you have five years of you know being in this environment what were those next five years like was there you know this is obviously all brewing you know churches fluctuating very crazy amounts you know very consistently what was the path like those next couple of years oh uh, the real challenge was just like with all the pressure of being like a pastor's kids you know like I, my dad would constantly pressure me and other men in the church would constantly pressure me to like you need to preach you know, and like, mm. not only did I not want it or believe in it, I also like have a speech impediment. Like I uh, stutter, you know, it's not horrible. Like I do uh, stutter a little bit. So the idea of getting up in front of, you know, a bunch of people and preaching, I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a terrible experience. Well, like, I don't especially wanna... as, a, as a teenager, like I can only yeah. imagine like that there's probably a lot more concern about, you know, how am I perceived or, or you yeah. know, are people going to be judging me or, you know, so 
Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Like, so there's all this pressure on you. You're thinking, I don't even believe what you want me to go up and yeah. say. Did you end up doing a lot of speaking? Did you end up getting kind of pushed in those positions? Or I would try to avoid it until I knew, like, all right, I'm about to catch some hands if I don't go up there yeah. and so. or you know or special music you know, or whatever. I guess they a music special. That's the correct terminology, right? It's been a while. Like, yeah, either, yeah, I think it go either way. Yeah. I would just try to like avoid it until I knew like, all right, there's going to be repercussions if I don't. Right. Go. So I'll play the part for this period to appease everybody and kind of go yeah. from there. Were you homeschooled all the way through graduation? Yeah. So my mom actually homeschooled me for like grade one and two, and then just didn't do anything pretty much. Like we would maybe do like, you know, it was always like my fault. It would be like, you know, why aren't you doing your schoolwork? Well, like I'm 13. What do you expect? Like, I'm not going to do work unless you make <laughs> If I have an option. Yeah. For sure. Uh, how like a lax like Pennsylvania was, I just got a letter from the school district saying that I had done 12 years of homeschooling. Wow. I didn't get a, a diploma necessarily, but like I just got that letter and it's, you know, it worked fine for my brother and sister. They, uh, they didn't do so well because you had to do a standardized like a testing on the third grade, fifth grade, and eighth grade. And they got held back uh, once or twice, if I remember correctly. So they ended up dropping out and getting a, a GEDs. So I wouldn't, I think it would be, it's a stretch to say we were homeschooled. It was more just like we were, you know, you were homeschooled. You stayed at home. <laughs> that was basically the, well, the, the gist. Well, uh, the vast majority of our day was like at the church, you know, like mowing the lawn or cleaning up or whatever, you know, or like traveling to camp meetings with my dad. What were those like that, like the camp meetings, things like that? Like what was kind of your, your I know you mentioned like kind of same, same story as I think a lot of people were in Ruckman kind of ping pong between Hiles Anderson, between you know, Ruckman's kind of church and, and things, but like who else was in that sphere? Was there anybody else notable? Like when you'd go to a camp meeting that you were like, you were familiar with these people. Cause I'm, I'm always curious, like obviously the IFB experience is kind of monolithic, but there's also a lot of, you know, specific camps within it. And Ruckman's definitely a camp of his own, but he had these weird intersections with other groups. So what, what were the camp meetings like? Like what was that kind of environment going to those? Yeah. Pretty quickly after my dad got done at a PBI, uh, he kind of left like uh, the Ruckman crowd for the most part. Like, he would still associate with a couple of guys, but he really primarily was hanging out with like the sort of Lord like, uh, crowd guys or Hiles Anderson. So okay. I remember uh, him and I went out to pastor school at First Baptist one time. I think it was like 95, 96. We went out there. I thought it was the greatest experience ever, you know, like uh, right. it's exciting. Yeah. So, it's I, like I the Vatican old, for, uh, yeah. for Baptists. <laughs> I bought John Hiles, you know, like signed my Bible, I guess, when I was out there, which, you know, now I'm like, that's great. Like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> it's <laughs> but, almost, you know, it's almost kind of cooler now because it's kind of like, oh, I have this weird guy signature. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was pretty uh, familiar with guys yeah. like I got my Jack Hiles uh, statue picture. Oh, wow. <laughs> four years ago. <laughs> uh, he's pretty familiar with guys like uh, Shelton Smith, um, okay. John Hamlin, guys like that. He also, he taught for a while. He was a professor, you know, whatever that means, that had been stood up near uh, Philadelphia. So that's kind of really when he got into the Sword of Lord and how the the crowd was when he started teaching at college, because obviously all the traveling preachers of angels and stuff would come in and out of there to preach to the students. Right. Cool. So getting closer to senior year, you know, did you, well, first, I guess, did you ever have a period where you, or periods where you would like it's kind of backwards. Like you, you doubted very early on that, you know, is any of this stuff legit, but was there ever a period sitting under these camp meetings or things where 
the emotional wave of everything that's going over, did you ever like say like, what if they're right and I'm wrong? Like maybe I should try to just push through, go to like Bible college or, you know, or was it completely just like, oh, I'm shut off. I'm done. I'm, I'm out of this. So I, I had one of those kind of things prior to that age, like about like eight or nine. I remember there was a, a preacher who was preaching or following me at our church and he was preaching on hell. I mean, he was a good, charismatic speaker. That was the like moment where I remember being like overcome, where I was like, I am going to go to hell. Like I'm not saved because I think I'd made a profession of faith when I was like five or six. But this was like, like eight or nine. And I was like, you know, very emotional, like could not control myself and went up. and I was like, I have to get saved. But after that, and I got, I'm a baptized again, obviously. But after that, no, I don't okay. remember having, I don't remember like buying into it again after I kind of had that epiphany, if you will, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, that's super unique just because like I, I did question ever. I mean, I, I still like, I'm, I mean, this show, this show is me questioning a lot of stuff. I, I was never afraid to speak my mind or question, but I also had the other side of that too. I was just terrified of being wrong. So it was kind of this, this mix. And I still, it's taken me a lot of work, like, and I, I'm still, I hate all, every term I can think of to say it, but I'm still a Christian. Like I'm still, you know, I follow Jesus, you know, I read, I read the Bible and things like that, but I'm not, I don't identify with obviously the IFB world, but it's still, it took me a very long time. And I still find myself where it's hard for me to consider or examine elements of my faith or religion or worldview, like excising fear from that. Like, so it's hard for me to, you know, cause we were always taught, this is what the truth is. And if you're wrong, it's life or death. And, right. and so when you're really trained that way, it's hard for you to like, like a couple of years ago, it was hell actually that I was, um, I came across a apologist who, who had a, had a different view of hell and like, I got like a pit in my stomach and I was like, wait, I can't even question the version of hell that I was taught about. You know, I can't even, even think about it. And like, that's a really scary place to be is when you're so scared to even ask the question, you know, yeah. and that's, that's kind of where I've come around to. And I've said it on the show like a million times, like truth shouldn't have anywhere to hide. So if theology is accurate, if, if your worldview, if science is, you know, fill in the blank with whatever you want to talk about, the more you study it, the more you're going to realize it's right. <laughs> if, if it's something that's wrong, the more you study it, you're going to get closer to the truth by realizing that that was wrong and the truth is somewhere over here. But that's a really, that conversation doesn't fly very well in uh, a lot of IFB churches. <laughs> well, here's the thing that's, that's like a funny about it all. It's like, you know, for like five years, I'm just like waiting, just like, you know, just one, you know, four more years, one more year, you know, just like waiting. Mm -hmm. I find, you know, I turn 18, get my letter from the school district go off and join the army. And you know what I did for the first uh, six months I was in the army? I didn't change anything about my life. I still lived like, cause I was like so scared. I'm like, what do I, what right. do I do? You know? and, and what were you, what were you scared of? Or was it just like it was hammered into you? Like, were you worried? Was it, there was no, like, there was no like fear of like God punishing nope. you for living. It was more. So like a uh, sheltered and like, you know, the first time I ever spent like more than a day away from my parents, like the first time I was overnight for my parents was when I went to base training. You know, wow, they were that's crazy. At like, like tightly, you know, like a control wing. Well, I take that back. Like with the exception of, you know, like going to grandma's house or something like that, you know, but first time away from family was there. And so I just, I did, it was like, what do my parents find out? What are they going to think? You know, like I didn't really, I didn't know what to do with this newfound, uh, like a freedom. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of 
they found a church for me near my first base. I went there once and was like, nope, I cannot, like, not going to happen. And I, like, left before the service even uh, started. Like, I would tell them, oh, yeah, of course I'm going to church. Like, that church you found me? Yeah, it's awesome. Like, I go there, you know, like, like every Sunday or whatever. Uh, and it wasn't really until I met my wife, you know, because, like, I'd never had a girlfriend or anything before. Mm. But, like, I met my wife, and I was like, you know what? Girls seem pretty awesome. I'm, like, done with, like, this whole facade. So I straight up just like, told my mom, like, you know, nope, I'm an atheist now. Everything you believe is stupid. And I took, like, a, like some like, giddy pleasure, you know, in, like, telling her off. It was, like, like the most uh, free thing I've ever felt. You know, I was like, I'm just going to give it to her, like, about both barrels, and I'm going to offend her as much as possible, you know? In retrospect, super immature. Probably wasn't the way to do it, but it did feel extremely uh, satisfying in the moment. Right. And that just opened up a can of, like, worms of my mom just, like, you know, <laughs> you're going to hell. Like, oh, it was, it was a bad, like, probably about a year. And then I finally was, like, I'll make peace with her, like, I'm not going to go back to that, but like, I'll apologize like for kind of being a dick, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we all go through that phase to some extent, you know, and it's, I think it's understandable. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of tension built up for 18, 19, 20 years. And when you finally pull the plug on whatever version of it, you know, for me, it was, it wasn't necessarily leaving faith, but it was like leaving that religious denomination which in a lot of people's eyes was leaving faith and you know or you know not going to bible college was one of those where i felt a lot of tension and you know i think the way that we just cope with the fear of leaving or the you know the anxiety that we're kind of kind of take out i think we just default to being the not to use their word but you know the bitter or you know explode i i would say like explosive kind of like I'm out and, you know, I'm done and you can't tell me to do this, you know, but I think it's, that's important What you just hit on is like, you can have a healthy relationship and not agree on everything. So you can go back and say, Hey, I don't agree with you on this, but we can mend, you know, as much, as much as possible, we can kind of mend the bridge between us. And I think it's cool that you did that because there's a lot of people who, you know, again, I can't blame them, but there's a lot of people who never have that closure or go back and have that conversation. Cause it's, it's easier, it's easier to be like, I'm out, you know, peace and, and never address it again. Um, yeah. So it's really cool. So, so what was the kind of experience past that? Like, I mean, you've, I know you've mentioned like, you know, obviously looking back, there's a lot of kind of rough memories in that environment to put it lightly. What's been helpful for you being out of it? Like what's been helpful for you and maybe, you know, unpacking some of those maybe negative tendencies that you picked up or things like that? Like what's, what's been most helpful for you? You know, honestly, just like the, you know, I credit, and this is not meant to be like a recruiting plug for the army, but like I credit the army, like the thing really like allowed me to be a normal person and like thrive in the world, you know, like hmm. being able to like uh, to get a college degree, you know, like experience the world, like meet people, just be around good people. Like it's been the most positive thing in my life, you know, outside of like, like my marriage or my kids or whatever, you know? And then just cause like being like in that environment, like that culture, like a brotherhood, you know, like I started off being, you know, like, Oh, I'm an atheist, you know, like I'm done with all this. You believe in God, like you're stupid. Right. Um, and then I a very good friend that I uh, served with who like was Roman Catholic and very devout. And he ended up with me, you know, he ended up kind of like coaching me into like going to church with him. And, you know, I ended up uh, converting back in 2014 which, you know, the only thing worse than being an atheist is being a Catholic uh, in the IFP world. 
Yeah. So, right. <laughs> so that did not go over well uh, with mom and dad, but now we're good. <laughs> Are you still Catholic? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So you went from like strict IFB to atheist to Catholic. So, so you went from like theism to atheism back to theism then, which is kind of interesting. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm always curious with, it's, it's, it's funny you word it that way. Cause I've never been able to put my finger on it, but it's always really interesting to me when someone goes from, I know one other guy that went from IFB to Catholicism and that's just a really I don't know, like for me, it was always, that was hammered so hard that I never even looked at that as a option. Like I never, you know, but, but now talking to him and stuff and, and going over stuff, like there's still things I'm like, you know, it's like anything I'm 25. So like when I'm, I'm like, I don't need to figure everything out right away. But, you know, I, I look at some of the stuff he says, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. But like, it was never presented that way in the context that I was in, you know, it was, you know, there's not to completely rabbit trail on this, but like there's just things he's talked about where I'm like, oh, that doctrine that you're talking about makes a lot of sense when it's not being talked about like in a very dismissive way to make it sound crazy. But yeah, that's that's really interesting. That's an interesting arc to, to go on. What's What's been the key differences between obviously the IFB religious context and the Catholic? Like what's appealed to you or what what have you noticed that's kind of different in the way that it that it works and operates? Like a big part of like the attraction that like drew me to Catholicism was like my love of history. And mm-hmm. I remember you know, as a kid reading like Fox's Broken Martyrs or like uh, the Trail of Blood and being like, oh, this is crazy. Like this, like super, like secret history, you know? And then once I got out and started exploring like Catholicism a little bit, I'm like, oh, wow, like this church is pretty old. It's like a 2000 years old. And, you know, just the yeah. format of like, it's a very ancient style of worship where it's focused on the liturgy you know, on actions and reactions and prayers. And it's not just let's sing a couple songs and let a guy from an unaccredited college stand up and talk for 45 minutes about what he thinks this one verse means. And And it's, it's a denomination that's not a hundred, like the IFB is literally about a hundred years old. Like, Like it's not, the trail of blood is, is one of the biggest fictional accounts of history of all time. So yeah, there's a lot backing that. And that's, that's one thing that appeals to me about Presbyterianism, Catholic church. There's a lot, whether you agree with all of the conclusions, it's backed by a lot of thought and debate and discussion. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. And I really enjoyed like the intellectualism of the mm. Catholic church. Whereas like, you know, I remember like my dad sitting around with other pastors and they would just talk and talk and talk about like, what did this verse mean? And what did that verse mean? And now I'm like, they were just regurgitating ideas they read from Ruckman or from Hiles or from whoever. And like, I really, what I like about the Catholic Church is the intellectualism of like actually approaching things in an intelligent manner and trying to figure out the truth. You know, like uh, Thomas Aquinas, you know, like, like, mm-hmm. like a God reason for a reason, like for us to use it, not just, you know, we should uh, work out what makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, then, you know, like, for example, this thing that started me kind of like on, on like a doubting like uh, the IFB was like science, you know, like how can you say like evolution is not true when like we have like, it just, it makes God a liar. It makes him like dishonest. If you are going to tell me the earth is a 6,000 years old, but we see the light from these stars that are millions of light years away. Literally the laws of science require that they be that old for the light to get to us. But if you say God just made the universe that way, then he's lying. Like he's wanting me to believe a falsehood. 
Mm. Like, why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. Hearing you talk and like, these are all questions that I've asked and it's, it's, it's just weird that again, like that kind of a question, like puts a big mark on you as being, you know, and I've asked the same thing, like, um, and I appreciate, uh, RC Sproul's thing about the age of the earth is, uh, you know, he says, God didn't tell me, so I don't know. And uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I see IFB churches and pastors go attack evolutionists as voraciously as they would someone who doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. And it's like, well, one of those is an essential doctrine. One of those is a best guesstimate, you know, that someone came up with, you know, it's a very, for me, like it's the same. I, like, I think that there's very, you know, I keep saying things on the show that are gonna get me in trouble, but I think there's a lot of possibilities as far as how you interpret Genesis, how you, you know, I, I don't think that, I, I think it's a contrary position, but I just don't see how accepting the possibility of like an evolutionary beginning that's, you know, started by a divine being is any less you know, glorifying to God than interpretation and both could be right. I could be wrong in where, you know what I mean? Like maybe there is something, you know, maybe God did create an old universe or maybe, you know, fill in the blank, but it's like, I, am not gonna, I'm not gonna go to the maths with someone over that topic, (laughs) you know, like. My mind is like, why are we going to insist that a Genesis one is a literal, like that should be interpreted in a literal fashion. But then when the Bible says, you know, that a uh, baptism like uh, saves you. We're like, well, that's more of a metaphorical thing. Yeah. Or like, dispensationalism, like you're going to interpret the Bible. <laughs> don't, start, don't start me on dispensationalism. But, like, oh, this is the grace. Like, oh, what? Like, why are you know, like, it's just, it's a picking and choosing mm-hmm. based upon what, like, Pastor Bob wants to pick and choose, not based mm-hmm. upon like, what any serious, like, religious authority or, like, all the person says about it it's just whatever he says you know with his Kyle Anderson degree or his high degree which is mad it's like you know I think about like my dad like would I trust like a 22 year old kid to like tell me (laughs) all of the bible like right no right yeah it's it's crazy but you have factories of that produce these you know these pastor schools that produce you know someone to just regurgitate what they were taught and that's it and Again, um, I'm not hating on people who may have very, you know, varied beliefs or things, but there's also a thing of one thing that Bible college doesn't teach all these students is to listen and think and, you know, and you don't have to have a solid answer for everything. You know, there's, I think there's things that are very clear and there's things that are, you know, it's, I told someone the other day about something. I said, I don't know. I said, that's the answer I have. I, I don't know. And that doesn't appease either side or, or any of the 20 sides of an issue. But that's a very important thing to be willing to say. And man, I could talk to you about this, um, the theology side forever, because there are things like baptism where I'm like, the Bible says like baptism now saves you. Yeah. <laughs> but but, we, but we, we say like, it doesn't mean that. But it's like, well, you know, what does it mean? And I've... You know, I've heard compelling answers from <laughs> some or, sites. You know, and, you know, I think uh, the baptism piece or like the Last Supper, like Jesus doesn't say like this is, he says, this is my body and blood. And Paul says, you know, if you eat and drink of the Lord's like body and blood unworthily, you're damned. Like, 
So just passing out some uh, crackers and Welch's, you know, like a grape juice once a year right. doesn't sound like we're doing now, does it? So like, right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm going to get, uh, I always try to stay away from these topics because <laughs> this is where I start getting the hate emails. But, but, but it's true. I, I, and again, I'm not saying that uh, what I'm saying essentially is me asking that question like people take that as me making a statement and I'm just asking that question. And I think, I think what's really cool about your story, you know, is the fact that, you know, you questioned and you didn't come to your belief system because it was told to you. You came to it through a lot of trial and error, a lot of reading, research, study. And I think that's respectable. I think even someone listening who would say like, yeah, but he still missed the boat and became a Catholic or he still did. But at least like I'd rather someone be convinced and be a Catholic and come to that position and really believe it than to say that they're a Baptist or a Presbyterian or an evangelical because they have to. It, like it's not even if both options are wrong, it's like at least you're convinced and and know why you believe it as opposed to, you know, for me, there was a lot of stuff. I was like, man, I'm really scared about this just because someone told me to be worried about it for a long time. And now I can sit here and say like, I know the things that I know to be true. And there's a lot of gray area in between. <laughs> and the only way to get there is to have conversations with people. That's the only way, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's that Martin Luther quote of like, unless I'm convinced by scripture or sacred reason, you know, I'm going to stand my ground. Like that's, that's how I approach every topic is like, unless I can be shown, you know, crystal clear in, in the Bible or if church history, if, if tons and tons of people discuss, discussing and debating the Bible, you know, can persuade me in a certain direction, I'm generally going to just say, it's a mystery. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out at some point. So dude, I love your story. And I, I think it's really cool that, you know, you were able to, you know, just intellectually engage with what you were being presented. I love the being willing to question. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's really, it just says a lot about you to, you know, that early on to be able to recognize some of that stuff and, and be able to think through it on your own. I have to ask you this question. Okay. Um, just cause I'm, I'm just cause I'm curious. I'm, one of the topics that came up within the, you know, obviously abuse is a big topic in the IFB world and, you know, within the Catholic church it's recently become very much the forefront and i'm curious just because there were there were some ifp pastors recently who did a podcast and you know they talked about they said well catholic church systemic you know abuse should be shut down ifp church no there's no systemic abuse and i actually ran the numbers and it's actually statistically more likely that you'd be abused in a baptist church than a catholic church but i am curious did you know did that ever give you pause you know considering like that element of the Catholic church. And, you know, I, I look at it now and I look at the, obviously there were certain parishes that had extremely systemic problems with it. But when I look at the numbers of Catholics worldwide and I look at overall, it's, it's actually, a, again, I, I'd say it's, I'd say depending on the section, you know, there's been some that are worse than others, but overall, like the fact that there's not more is kind of shocking. But anyway, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, coming out of a background where, you know, there's a lot of abuse being in the Catholic world. Was there ever a point that like kind of messed with your mind or you thought about that or you were concerned about it in a, in a big way? Um, so 
Because I know you heard about it in the IFB circles. Oh, yeah. I know they brought it up a lot. <laughs> so it's shocking to me. You know, I'll often think about like, man, how did I end up here? When I think about like how the Catholic Church was a portrayed growing up, right. you know, like it blows my mind sometimes. Where I'm like, how how did I end up here? Like this is weird. Like, well, not have seen this coming. You know, obviously, like I'm aware of it. I think the thing that I, the difference, like to me, is like anytime there's a case of abuse, whether it's in a Baptist church or in a Catholic church, you know, it is horrible and it should be right. like punished as severely, you know, as it can be if it's proven to be true. And I think the Catholic church messed up a lot over the last like hundred years or so. Well, I guess it's like uh, 60 years or so that like all these cases are coming from, they messed up pretty bad about how they handled it, but it's not systemic in the fact that like the culture and the theology of the church promotes that happening it's an outlier it's a tragedy and it's a crime but it's an outlier whereas when i look at the ifb movement it's not an outlier you know maybe you know like i don't recall sexual abuse happening in in my dad's church but i know what happened in other churches and i know that it was always oh those kids are just you know lying they're trying to take down you know the man of god or whatever right so i think there's a real lack of accountability and a real yeah. focus after being basically, you know, like the next man after God that right. really made hard to hold them accountable. That's kind of what I was wondering if that was your take on it, because that's where I look at, look, obviously there's anywhere there's people, bad things will happen because right. you get enough people in a room. One of them is a bad guy. You know, that's just how, that's just how the numbers break down. But one thing that I will say is, you know, as much as, because the IFB will say, you know, hey, you know, you don't want to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention or the Catholic Church or Presbytery or because then if it turns bad, they're all telling you what to do and you, they're going to make you do something that you shouldn't be doing. But I also look at the accountability side and, you know, obviously we saw out of Chicago, like that was that was systemic in the sense of you had, you know, bad priests, you had a you know, bad Cardinal, you had like, it was, it was from the top to bottom. It had just filled up with bad people and that can, any system has the potential to go wrong. But when a system's functioning properly, I talked to someone out of San Diego who, you know, has a a lot of close friends within the Catholic church. And because there's good people within the system, it's functioning very well in exposing and, you know, being like advocating for victims of abuse. And where I think you're 100% correct is within the IFB, when it is a man in charge, a solo individual man who is the be-all end-all, you're creating a ton of little environments that are catered to an abuser if he gets in that position. And there is no accountability. There's no fail safe, you know, like one of my buddies that was just on that's in the Presbyterian church, he's like, there's a lot of levers you can pull to get someone removed from a position. He's like, if the person above them doesn't, you can go to the next group, then to a council, then to, you know, and I think that's where I see another appeal to kind of systematized or, you know, however you want to say institutionalized religious groups is there's a lot of fail safes. And again, you can have the wrong people in all of those positions and have it go right. bad, like any any situation, just like any business. But I think the odds 
are way more in your favor as opposed to being in a church where one man is the man of God who has final say in every situation. So I was curious, I was just curious to take on that. I got a little sweaty asking the question because it's a little bit of a difficult, a difficult question. And it's, it, it seems a little, uh, I know it probably seemed a little bit blunt, but I, I, I was just curious your take on it because that's probably a question that someone who's listening who's in the IFB is like, well, you can't point at this and then go do that. But I think, it, I think it's a deeper issue than that, you know? I can imagine the comments. Like, oh, like Catholic <laughs> here, you know, with his priests. Like, right, right, yeah. So that's what I want to ask. And, and I think, you know, obviously, no system's perfect. No, no, but I think there's a lot of ways in which, you know, I'm seeing stories from, you know, Presbyteries, Catholic organizations where when the, when it's running well, it, it's a much safer place to be a, you know, involved. And I, we're seeing in the Southern Baptist Convention, man, like the, the Southern Baptist Convention in many ways allows a lot of independence that I think has come back to bite them. Like we're seeing yeah. crazy cases coming out of the Southern Baptist, like the Southern Baptist Convention could almost get, well, could almost, it could get its own podcast like this. I'm not volunteering to do a second one, but, but I think, you know, it's, that's where you see a lack of accountability really coming back to roost. So, but, um, Anyway, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing and, and explaining your perspective. It's a really interesting story. And, you know, I love talking to people who I feel like I connect with as far as questioning everything. Because I, sometimes I feel like I'm just a jerk. I just question uh, everything that I come in contact with. So I, I really like getting to hear that, you know, someone's thoughtfully addressed, you know, their beliefs. That's, that's really exciting. So thanks. Perfect. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.